Well, amen. Man, that was good. Praise the Lord. Awesome. He's way maker. Amen. Uh, man, welcome in. Lindsay Lane North, we're so glad to have you at our 1030 service, whether you are joining us in person or online. We are so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, before we get into our message today, I want to celebrate. So last week we took up our Give to Go offering. Man, God moved in a powerful way. Uh, we had, just and by way of celebration, we had over $5,000 given yesterday that we, that we had brought in yesterday. We've got uh, almost that much given uh, in pledges for, out for the rest of the year as well. And so, man, God has done an amazing work. We are able to support uh, all of our missionaries uh, that we have, all three of them, as well as giving to some of the Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and those kind of things. Uh, and we get to support through give to go We get to support our interaction with them. So as we go, as we uh, visit there in Tuscaloosa, as we go uh, to Las Vegas, hopefully next summer, uh, to Favor City, man, we we are so very glad and so very thankful for your giving, your generosity to do that. What I would say is if you are here and you have not uh, given and you would like to do that, maybe you weren't here last week or whatever the case may be, there's a way for you to do that. We have the Give to Go uh, inserts that we had last Sunday. We have them in the back, and so you can grab one of those. Let us know what you would like to give, what your pledge is to give, uh, and then you can f turn that in. If you're giving by check, uh, we just ask on the memo line just to make sure that we know that it is for North Missions offering, all right, or to give to go uh, for the North Campus, okay? So uh, that's how we would like you to do that, uh, but man, we are so, so excited about how God's going to use money as a resource, right? And God is going to use those resources to make a very tangible difference in the lives of others. Uh, they had over 180, if in case you wanted to know, they had, they had over 180 people at Favor City this past Sunday, had one salvation and one baptism. So, uh, man, God's already doing a work. So we're excited to be a part of that and what's going on at the Oaks uh, as well. If you don't follow them on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, you need to make a point to do that. Man, that is something really encouraging stuff uh, to be up to date on what's going on there. All right, but turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we are in the middle of our DNA series. This is who we are as a church, the foundations of Lindsay Lane North, what we're about. We want you to know so that we can move forward with clarity of mind, clarity of purpose as we make a difference in the world that we live in, okay? And so I, I believe it's important that we understand that. Last week we talked about our mission, right? We talked about it first because it's primary. We are here, Lindsay Lane North exists as a result of the mission of God and the mission and the vision that God has placed in the heart of your leadership. Myself and Brother Dusty and now Andy John at the main campus, that is why we as Lindsay Lane North exist here in Elkmont. And so our mission is why the church exists. Have you ever thought, if the point of your life was to receive Christ, the best place for you to die would be between the altar and your seat before you had a chance to screw it up, right? But there's a reason. So the reason why all of us are, everybody breathe in and breathe out. If you have a relationship with Christ, 
You are in this room for a purpose. You're in this life. You are converting oxygen into carbon dioxide for a kingdom purpose. And so we need to understand what that is. And so today, we're going to talk about our purpose. Our purpose statement. Our purpose provides the guide rails, the guardrails by which we pursue God's mission. If the mission of God is the engine that drives us, it is the purpose and our purpose statement that provides the guardrails in order to allow us to be pointed the right direction, right? Because following the right trail is important. When I first came over to the village, I discovered that there were an immense interwoven group of, of trails all throughout the back of the rural village. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, Tommy, the guy that does a lot of their groundskeeping, that goes, he comes to our first service, he told me there is over 30 miles of trails behind the rural village. Now, that was news to me. And in my mind, when I first got over there, that is exciting news because I need to go exploring, right, as, as my son would say. It's time for me to go exploring. So we buy the cheapest little UTV you could possibly buy. We named it affectionately Mater um, because it is exactly that. It is bare minimum two-wheel drive. There are some trails we can't get up because we just can't climb the hill. But we tear off the first time we get, after we get Mater, we tear off through these trails. Now, my boys are loving it. They are living their best life. We're going through there. But now, here's the thing about the trails. It's not one trail, and then it ends. And then you go on another trail, and it comes back, and it ends. All these trails do this. So I'm driving, and at first, I'm having a great time. Like, look at this, son. Look at these guys. Oh, wow, look over here. See that? See the deer that we just jumped? Man, that's awesome. And then I start trying to head back to the house. And my boys are still having a blast. Daddy's starting to get nervous. Because first of all, I don't want to admit that I have done, made a misstep because men don't do that, right? We don't admit when we're wrong. My boys are living their best life and they're like hitting me and elbowing me. I'm like, yeah, oh gosh. Like, where are we? Like, what are we, where am I at? What am I doing? Y'all, I'm serious. I wanted to be gone about 15 minutes. We were gone like over an hour. And the only way I got home is I got my cell phone out and I pulled up Google Maps and I just followed the little arrow and tried to get as close as I could and ended up cutting through some trees to actually get out. I still, to this day, don't think I would have gotten out if I stayed on the trail, right? So what was I doing, right? I was joyful riding. I was having a good time, but I didn't have any regard for where I was going. I didn't have any regard for the trails, any regard for the guardrails that were there to keep my dumb self from getting lost. So what happened? I got lost and I spent a lot of extra time driving on these trails because I didn't have a clear understanding of where I needed to go. I feel like that is where many, many churches of today are at. Man, may it not be, we not be accused of not having activities. We have a lot of activities. We have a lot of things that we're doing, but does it drive 
toward a purpose? Is it, is it directed in any way that would accomplish any given mission? And so today we're going to talk about the idea of purpose, what it is like for us to live a life of purpose. If God has called us to reach, teach, and minister, then how do we accomplish this? May we not be guilty as a church of spinning our wheels, doing a lot of different things, but missing the point that God has placed us here. And so... The mission is accomplished with the purpose. This is our mission. We share this mission with the three other campuses of Lindsay Lane North, of Lindsay Lane, excuse me. Uh, but this is our purpose statement. Together for the glory of God and the good of man. Now, there is a lot in this little statement. Our mission was in the community for the community, right? Uh, we are not limited to Elkmont. Our community is where our neighbors are, and our neighbors are everywhere. There is no limitation to where our neighbors are. Jesus doesn't put that, right? He called the Jews to the Samaritans. And if he called the Jews to the Samaritans, then he certainly called them to everybody else because that's the last person in the world that you wanted to have interaction with. Right, And so we're called everywhere. And in every community, we are in and for them with the gospel of Jesus. But we accomplish that through the guide rail of being together for the glory of God and the good of man. And so as hip and cool pastors would say, let's unpack that for a second. All right. So Ephesians chapter 4, if you know, you know. Let's unpack that for a second. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we have a clear understanding of what our purpose in life is, all right? And the first thing we're going to see is that we are to be together, right? What does it mean for the body of Christ to be together? Now, we're going to jump around a little bit in Ephesians chapter 4, but we're going to start in verse 2. Where do we come up with this idea that we're to be together for the glory of God and the good of man? Ephesians 4 chapter 2 says this. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one Baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. May it not be my own. God, may it be straight from you. May we understand, God, how we as a church, as we as individuals, can live together with one another. To see your glory extended and to see the good of man accomplished. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed when Paul teaches, when Paul is writing in his letters, uh, he is definitely a pastor. He is definitely a preacher. How do I know that? When you begin to read Paul, he'll be driving at a point, and all of a sudden, he'll chase a rabbit. 
If you, if you study his work, it's literally, it's what he does. And so Paul is driving at a point, but in the middle of the point that he's driving at in Ephesians chapter 4, he chases a rabbit. Now, I know that I don't personally chase rabbits in messages, but I've heard that pastors sometimes do that. So that's why I would say that he is definitely a preacher, right? I'm just kidding. I chase plenty. Matter of fact, I'm chasing a rabbit right now. Um, So we're going to kill that rabbit and we're going to move forward, right? And so whenever he, he, but he chases these rabbits because what we see in this is Paul's heart for ministry. When you see when he goes off on a tangent, what we see is his heart. When I do it, I hope that you see my heart. And so Paul is talking about living a life worthy of the calling of Christ. And then for four verses, he goes on a tangent about togetherness, about unity. He tells them that they are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that would have been enough. That's not where he stopped. Right? It's, it's important enough that we understand that we are to live eager, but why do we live eager, right? And then he goes on verse after verse of talking about the oneness that we have in Christ. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He goes on a tangent. I feel like as he was writing or the scribe was writing, like the scribe was like slowing him down as he was as he was preaching at this scribe writing down this letter as he's writing to the church of Ephesus because he has a passion to see the church united. But you also find in Paul something very unique about unity. This is the primary thing, the most discussed things about Paul in all of his letters is the idea of unity. He talks about it more in the sum total of his letters than any other subject. He talks about the unity of the church. There were a lot of disunified church in that day, churches in that day. So he discusses unity often. But everywhere he discusses it, he discusses it with a very, another very specific theme. Do you know what that is? We find it in verse 2. Humility. He almost never discusses unity in the body without first or somewhere in the immediate context talking about humility. Listen, I I believe all of sin, I believe we see it in scripture, all of sin has at its core pride. At its core, an insistence on our way over someone else's, an insistence over our preference rather than someone else's. And so we see ourselves, we are taught really in this country, right? In, in the American dream, we are taught to pursue our interests, our benefit over the benefit of others. Now, we don't say that out loud, but the way that we approach a corporate model and a corporate uh, uh, scheme is to do fight, claw, scratch, do whatever you've got to do to put yourself over that of others. Now, once you have reached the pinnacle, then you can start trying to serve, right? 
as if we will ever feel in our mind that we have reached that pinnacle. And so, and so this is what the world is predicated on. But every time Paul discusses this idea of togetherness or unity in the body of Christ, he discusses it in the context of humility. Do you know what that means? That means for us to accomplish what God has for us, we have got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over our needs. We've got to get over uh, what we want and what our preference would be. And we need to be about the needs of others. So let me ask you, when he asks, it says that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. What are you more eager for? Are you more eager for you to live a life of comfort, for you to live a life on your terms, or are you more willing to live a life of sacrifice for others? Is it more about living in, living in peace with others or having your own needs met? Because you're only going to live one of two ways. You're going to live for your needs or you're going to live for someone else's. And we live in a world that we have to detox our brain from seeing ourselves first. This is the sin condition, but we are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We are the church and we are to live separately. And in our unity, we speak a powerful testimony. How committed are you? As he says there, in all humility, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. Do you know why he said that? Because some people you just have to bear with. That's legit. That's real, that's real talk. Some people you just are going to always have to bear with. They're going to respond differently. I've told Will this before. Ministry would be a breeze if everybody would just respond the way that I think they should to every situation. If they did that, it would be a breeze for me as a pastor. Everybody would get along. Everything would be great. But that is not what we see in the church. Listen to what Tony Evans says. Unity does not mean sameness. We're not teaching for everybody to respond to every situation like I would. It's not sameness. It's oneness. Meaning that despite our differences and with an allowance for our faults, hello, may we always be a body of believers that can allow one another to be sinners instead of maintaining the superficial surface piety that all of us know we don't maintain on a day-to-day basis. But for an allowance for our faults, we are working toward a oneness of purpose. And so I put in your notes, unity can only happen when devotion to God's call surpasses differences between God's people. The beauty of God's people is when the world sees how different we are, just like the world is different, y'all. Everybody in the world, right? You are unique. You know, look at your thumbprint, right? You're the only one that's got that thumbprint. Your thumb body, all right? So encourage yourself with those words, all right? You're unique, and God doesn't desire. That's okay. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm, st- I'm a dad too, okay? So I can, the dad jokes just flow. Um, you're unique, and God's called you to use your unique giftings. And rather than seeing that as a detriment, 
What if we saw it as a compliment? What if we saw it as an opportunity for God to show how so different a people can be used together? Because the world is divided on everything. They're divided on everything. There's nothing big enough to unite under that the world has to offer. It's not big enough. It's not great enough. It's not powerful enough. But church, we have something that should unite us. We have been passed from death to life. And so what unites us is the second part of that phrase. The glory of God. All of us should exist for the glory of God. And to see his glory shining through our lives to a lost and dying world. It's about his glory, not our own. We are taking the posture of servant, not of king, not of the shot caller for our life, but we are taking the posture of a servant and we are meeting the needs because his glory is greater than our own. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 4, verse 1. All right, so back up a couple verses to verse 1. This provides the framework of everything that he speaks on about unity. This is why. Why can we be unified? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Why do we look past the faults of, every, of other people in the body of Christ? Why do we look past the differences? Because we have a calling. And this calling toward the glory of God is what our whole lives should be patterned after. I'm convinced if we grasp what God's glory is, then we can't help but pursue mission, to pursue discipleship, and to pursue unity on his terms. If we grasp that, if we grasp glory, we get it all. So what is the glory of God? Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We see how glory came to us. We see how God's glory was shown to us. In the Old Testament, the word that's used for glory is the Hebrew word kaboth. And literally associated with the word is the idea of weight. It's why in the worship of God, oftentimes when the presence of God was in a place, filling a place, the people took a posture of falling. They took a posture on their knees or prostrate before the Lord. There was a weight to the presence of God that was so intense that it was a physical demand. The glory of God is here and we must submit to that weight. 
It's an understanding of power and of strength. The New Testament uses a different word for glory. Illuminating even more what this idea is. The word doxa is used in the Greek that literally is tied with, you know, you've heard the word doxology, right? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are giving praise and worth and glory to God, right? That's the word doxa. It has associated with it the idea of brightness, an idea of great light. It is the doxa of God that would, when, when encountered on the road to Damascus, would cause the apostle Paul or Saul at the time to fall off of his horse and go blind. It was the immense brightness and radiating holiness of God that would drive people where they couldn't, they couldn't, look, they couldn't look on it. It was too great. It was too powerful. It was too high. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, the, towards the end of that verse. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What we see here is how glory came to us. Glory came to us in the form of a virgin giving birth to a son of God reaching down from eternity on high and invading Time, space, history for us. Who accomplished what we couldn't accomplish as the perfect God and man. He accomplished a sinless life. He died on a cross. Taking a punishment for our sin that he did not deserve. He bore it upon himself. So that as Christ was raised, so too she, we shall be raised. God's glory came to us by means of the gospel. And it is a game changer in our life. In your notes, God's glory is the revelation of God's holiness. This is a clear definition that we have. God's glory is the revelation of his holiness. What do I mean by that? Listen to what John Piper says. Right? God is holy. God is bright and he is weighty. He is in heaven. He is, but the idea of holiness is that he is separate from us. God is separate from us. He is separate from us in his, in his being. He is separate from us in his activity. He is perfect. He is in perfection. He is holy. Not just holy, but the angel said, he's holy, holy, holy. He is the apex of holiness. He is separate. But God was not content just to keep his holiness to himself. Probably the number one directive of God as laid out in scripture is this idea of his glory. And if his glory 
is the revelation of his holiness. Listen to what John Piper said. The glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth and the radiance of his holiness. We understand his glory when we are impacted by his holiness. And so the idea of all of creation, we declare the glory of God, which is we as broken creation declaring the separateness and the greatness and the magnitude and the weight and the brightness of God in our broken little lives through broken creation because God has intervened for us. When holiness meets creation, we see glory. We see God's glory. We see it in every characteristic of his life and it radiates from us. It should radiate from us. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament about Moses? Remember when he had an encounter with God on Sinai And what happened? When he came down the mountain, his face was literally aglow. It was glowing. It was radiating light. His face could not stop radiating the glory of God. He had experienced God's glory. The revelation of who God was to him. He had experienced it. And what did he do? Do we remember? He put a veil over it. He put a shroud over it because the people could not adequately take in the idea of God's glory. It was shrouded. The light had to be covered. And that became the theme of the Old Testament. That God's glory and holiness would be enjoyed by a few would be enjoyed by the Israelites, that God's redemptive plan for humanity in the Old Testament was for Israel to be separate, to be secluded, to be taken away from the countries. I answered a question of one of our church members that asked me about why did David have an ax to grind with all his enemies, right? He said some really mean stuff about his enemies, right? And the whole idea was God was calling him to be separate, The holiness of God was to be experienced from the Hebrew people leading to Jesus. But that is not where it ends. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3. Boy, this is good. 2 Corinthians 3, we've got it on our screen as well. When Jesus came, the veil was removed. The veil was removed. And we all, in verse 18, with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, is what the King James Version, probably more accurate translation, but beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I brought this lamp. You may not even realize it was a lamp. Matter of fact, you might have been thinking, hey, what, what's under that janky tinfoil? What is he covering up? This light, this lamp I brought from my house, covered with tinfoil twice now today, covered it with tinfoil 
When I stepped on this stage, I did something that none of you are probably aware of. I turned on this lamp. This lamp has been on the entire time that I've been preaching. But it's hidden in a shroud. It's covered. It's hidden from view. And so for my intents as being outside of the shroud... I don't see the radiating brightness of the light, even though power's being run to it, even though it is light, it is, it is being lit in and of itself. I hope unless the light blues. Somebody made me really nervous about that uh, between services. But this light has been on, but it's under a shroud. What Jesus did... With the, his holiness through the person of Jesus Christ as he did away with the barrier between God and man. He did away with this separateness and his holiness became revealed to us through the glory of the cross. He put to death Sin. He defeated death. And in so doing, the veil has been taken away. We now, beholding God's radiating holiness, resulting in glory given to God, have the opportunity as this lamp now for others to look at our lives as through glass and to see the transformation of our life. And the result is glory to God from them. Jesus said it this way, Let your light so shine before men. They see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. We get to be about God's glory. This revelation, this going public of his holiness, he has given us a part to play in this. This is our purpose. This is the defining attribute of who God is. We get to radiate to others because the veil has been removed in Christ. But because God is good... Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's separate and he's great. But because he is good, his glory results in our good. Because he's a good God. He's a good father. Our good comes as a result of his glory. And so let's look finally at the good of man. Ephesians 4, 7 through 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. God's grace was given. Right? The veil has been removed. His grace has been given to us in the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men so that they could radiate his glory most effectively. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Skip down a couple verses. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You know the purpose of a light? It's to be seen. 
is to be seen by others. This glory, the weight of the Old Testament glory, we see. But in the New Testament light, we are radiating the brightness of who God is. And when we do that, we see people restored to right relationship with him. We are where we need to be, and we see others where they need to be. God has given us gifts to use. Again, not sameness, oneness, not sameness. You can use your gift, I can use my gift, and we together can be more effective as the body of Christ, working efficiently and effectively to make a difference in the world, to bring good news to man. The good of man, our salvation. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we get the opportunity not to have glory in and of ourselves, but for people as in a glass to see God's glory played out in our life. Living missionally, in your notes, living missionally means that in light of what God has done for us, We live in light of what we can do for others. So we serve. So we put ourselves out there in the community so that they can see we are for them. So that they can witness the glory of God radiating through our lives and they can inquire and come into a right relationship with him. Man, does our life look like that? That's how we accomplish the mission. Together for the glory of God and the good of fellow man. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we enter a time of invitation? If you're here today and maybe you've never had an encounter with this glorious God. Maybe you can't radiate his glory with an unveiled face as through a glass because you don't have his glory living within you. His goodness has pursued you. and You have the opportunity today to be in a right relationship with him to experience his goodness, his holiness, to understand his glory in your life if you would simply respond in obedience to him. If there's never been a time where you have confessed your sins and your brokenness to God and you have asked for him to fill you, asked for him to come in to invade your life and to be your Lord and Savior, you have the opportunity to do that today. If you're here and you don't have that relationship, I would invite you to come to experience this glory that we've been speaking of. And then when you do, to put it to use together with all the saints for the good of man. So if you're here and you don't have that relationship with Christ, don't leave this place without getting that right. I'm here 
at the front and in the moment when I say amen, you have the opportunity to respond to this message today. If you desire to have a relationship with Christ, find this center aisle. Find me here at the front. We've got counselors that would love to talk to you about any decision you need to make for the Lord today. Would you surrender your life to him? Step one. Maybe you're here and maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but there has been a shroud of sin over your life. Maybe there is, there is a darkness. You are marring the glory of God in the way that you've lived your life. Maybe you need to come and maybe you need to, maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to, to, to seek Christ, seek his forgiveness. He can be found. If you would respond to him, he will respond to you. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Maybe you need to get right. Maybe you need to join what God's doing here at North. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to make that step to become a member here at Lindsay Lane North. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. You just get serious about what God's doing in your life. Whatever decision you feel led to make, this is exactly that. This is an invitation to respond. And I would ask you to take full advantage of it. As God leads you, as you seek his direction, I pray that you would respond and be obedient to him. Father, have these next few moments in our lives, in our hearts, and in this place. May you move in boldness. May you move us to boldness as we seek to be obedient to you. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. Let us adjust. Let us change as needed to be where we need to be with you. It's in your name we pray. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? Any decision you need to make, pray that you would come. This time is for you. Would you respond?